Please remain standing for the reading of God's word, which is Psalm 1. Just Psalm 1. Um, text is on screen. <clears throat> Blessed is the one who does not walk in, the, in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is God's word. Please be seated. Good morning, church. Kids are being dismissed for Children's Church, like usual. My name is Brian. I am the lead pastor here. If I have not, never met you before, you're visiting. Welcome uh, to Trinity City Church. You're jumping into a sermon series called Blessed. Uh, the point of the sermon series over the last several weeks is to compare a world that often offers us the good life uh, that actually leads us very anxious and sometimes isolated and lonely uh, to what the scripture would say is the blessed one, the blessed person, the happy person is one of the ways that we can uh, translate that uh, kind of religious term of blessed. And there's many different ways that the scriptures uh, pull those types of themes together, what the good life looks like according to God's ways and God's laws that teach us to love him and love others uh, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And uh, we have been going through different themes the last uh, several weeks after a couple sermons that really set up the series about uh, us being on a journey towards home where we belong. And in the meantime that we sent, we have our sense of belonging with God and with his people. We've been looking at very specific uh, topics related to that, especially the last three weeks have really been focusing a lot on relationships and different types of relationships where we can find the good life uh, with friendships and, and romance and with uh, 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 relationships within a household, especially parenting. And in the, the weeks to come, we are going to focus a little less on relationship and other, and other areas of life, including work and rest and generosity and justice. Uh, those are some of the, the topics we are going to look at in the weeks to come. And the, the Pivot Sunday, uh, the Pivot Sermon is today, where we go from relationships to technology before we go to work and rest, which might seem to be kind of a weird ordering, but I, I intentionally put it here because uh, technology is one of those things that either shape relationships or even maybe our relationship with work in a way that causes more flourishing but also can cause more destruction, more damage maybe in the process as well. One of the biggest things that might impact our ability to connect in a healthy way to others and in a healthy way uh, with our work is sometimes technology. So today's sermon is going to look at this idea of blessed is the the one who unplugs, and uh, what that is all about today. So let's go ahead and pray and dive into the sermon. Let's pray. Lord, we know that your ways and your word is what calls us to the good life. What calls us to paths of love and forgiveness and flourishing is your voice and your word, and we want to find ourselves there. 
but we are wayward people, Lord. We often get distracted. We often get pulled into multiple directions in a way that's just utterly exhausting and often get pulled onto a path that isn't contributing to uh, our good or the good of others. So Lord, help us to hear your voice to get called back, to let go of the things that are leaving us anxious and depressed and to lay hold of the things that build up and love. And we want to see that in the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ, who died and raised and reigns with us now, the Holy Spirit. We pray to you in his name. Amen. I often have this conversation with uh, other parents, and this is something that uh, happened to me recently, again, having this conversation about uh, parenting and technology with a neighbor of mine. We were, uh, my wife and I were hanging out on our front porch when our, one of our neighbors, the, the, the dad, was out on his lawn, uh, you know, like a lot of dads do, looking at the grass and to see how, how all that good work of uh, fertilizing and seeding and all that type of stuff has been doing. And we get into a conversation about life and catching up on what our weeks looked like and the things that uh, we are looking forward to. And then we started talking about uh, devices and smartphones and all that type of uh, topic, and especially in light of parenting, uh, not only our parenting approaches, but the parenting approaches of others, which is something that you also have to deal with with a topic like this, specifically about when do you allow your kid to have a smartphone? This is a big question for parents nowadays, and it's a big question for kids, too. I've noticed this generation looks more forward to that time of getting their smartphone than they would uh, to get their license. Previous generations, getting your driver's license was finally this sense of freedom, and you could drive wherever you want, and now there's a bigger sense that uh, maybe greater freedom and greater co connectivity happens when you get your first smartphone. So parents talk about this a lot, and kids think about this a lot. And so I was having this conversation with my neighbor, and we're just asking questions about, well, when do you uh, allow this to happen? What is the, the kind of uh, now new religious right of having your uh, smartphone for your kids for the first time? What age does that happen? When they get it, what kind of limitations do you put on the use of smartphone? And uh, then we also talked about how there's just this deep understanding uh, among parents, among even kids themselves. Uh, and really, everybody kind of notes that this is such a serious conversation because we know that uh, a smartphone doesn't just give kids greater connectivity to their friends, but also comes with it this reality that uh, they also make people disconnected and anxious and maybe sometimes depressed. And parents are kind of like, we all know this is the case. We all know that this happens, but yet, and this is the point that my neighbor was making, we all do it anyway. And not only does it impact our kids, but he and I would freely admit that you look around at the adults and we're not faring much better with our participation in using these devices. One of, uh, and an important book to put this into perspective of why zoom in on something like technology and specifically technology of a smartphone for a religious sermon comes from a book called Generations. This is not uh, a religious book, it's a book about, uh, by somebody who has studied the dynamics of generations uh, for her whole life. This is her PhD research, is to uh, study the differences between like Gen Z, Millennials, Gen X, and Boomers and why they're different, what shapes their differences. One of the things I would say, by the way, is this is actually the best parenting book that I've ever read, and it has nothing to do with parenting. 
But what it does is that it sets up the unique challenges that your generation, the generation maybe of your parents and the generation of those that you're parenting, all the challenges that they face because of the various things that they encounter. Uh, it's not only technology, but it highlights things like world events and significant experiences that generations faces. But her uh, thesis of that book is very intriguing. She basically says that the most formative impact on any generation is not an event in history or an experience, it is technology. That's her thesis. Now, you can take it or leave it, but that's her thesis. She thinks that technology and the advent of new technology has the most formative impact on every single generation. It's one of the number one things that delineates one generation from another. For example, she highlights the, the advent of uh, TV for boomers that are born between 46 and 64, that they would remember a time without TV and a time with TV. And then by Gen X, they just never remember a time without TV. And Gen Xers born in six, between 65 and 79 also have a memory of life before internet. And they now have this memory of when we didn't have internet and when it was introduced. Some elder millennials, like myself, also have this memory, in addition going to like the computer lab. Now like an entire computer lab is in your pocket through a smartphone, but we have these things called computer labs because most of us couldn't afford one of those big bulky desktops that had a green and black screen and you'd play organ trail on it. This is a memory that I have as well of like when it went from not having those those things to having those things and then you go from Gen X to Millennials and they uh, essentially have a life that has always had internet that, that um, especially those of us that are not elder Millennials might have a memory don't have many memories of life without internet and then we do remember in our generation when social media and smartphones were introduced specifically the iPhone was introduced and then when Facebook came broadly available beyond college campuses and then you go up to Gen Z, born from 95 to 2012, and again, they have no memory of life before smartphones. They grew up in a life and a world that always had them. And so probably even those Gen Zs here that are listening to this old man talk about a computer lab, it sounds like I have not only encountered the Oregon Trail on a screen, but maybe actually lived through it, right? By going to a cover wagon out west, right? That's what it kind of feels like uh, when you hear different generations talk about life without a certain technology. But one thing, FYI, Gen Z, you will also be the generation that will remember a time before uh, AI was very prevalent and your kids will always have a world where AI was just used and also abused in society. So that's her thesis. Technology shapes us more than anything and it shapes us in both good and bad ways. It's not one or the other, it brings a host of benefits into culture and a way of life, but also a host of things that are quite negative and disorienting for uh, generations and human beings. So this sermon is going to lean into technology, but not just technology in general, but especially the one that we are facing right now, is how does a specific technology like a smartphone shape not only our lives, but also our soul? We're going to look at the good, the bad, and the ugly about these devices, and then in contrast to what these things are doing to shape us, consider the happy life of those who unplug to a certain degree. 
Uh, I already mentioned one resource that's a big influence on this sermon, another uh, person that I would encourage folks to read, especially if you're intrigued by some of the things I say in the sermon, is author Andy Crouch. He wrote a book called The Life We're Looking For, and also uh, a more practical book, I, I think, for households is the one that he wrote, a shorter book called The Tech-Wise Family, uh, and, that, and his, his themes and his thoughts are really going to be dominant in this sermon. So let's first start with the good, the bad, and the ugly with technology uh, in general and smartphones specifically. Now, I want to say at the start here that I don't dislike technology. I'm not anti-technology. Technology has brought many benefits that I thoroughly enjoy. New medicine has kept me alive with chronic cancer, for example. That is technology. HVAC systems keep me cool in the summer and warm in the winter, except for Trinity City Church. That's kind of how it works, right? I just, you get to have a comfortable environment. I even value what the internet and smartphones have improved about life. Back in the day, I used to have to print off MapQuest to get anywhere, and I would still get lost. And now I have a map app on my phone that gives me direction in real time. I get to discover new musicians on Spotify, listen to new podcasts and books on Scribd, which if you don't know that is a like Netflix for eBooks that I really, really enjoy. I love getting caught up in a movie or a TV series. I love a good story. And uh, the internet and smartphones has uh, benefited uh, the Christian faith to be able to sp spread gospel-centered content globally through websites, especially in places that sometimes is hard to reach uh, by being there in person. Uh, I remember just thinking, even just like, you ever seen one of those pictures of everything that a smartphone can do nowadays? And I kind of like that. I don't have to carry around a CD player, a calculator, a laptop, a VCR, and a phone when your smartphone basically does all those things in one. It's, it's amazing, and I enjoy it. I even have opinions about technology like I know all of you do, including this one. Androids are better than iPhones. That's where I am on that camp. Uh, I know we'll come to the table and we'll unite in Christ, but on this particular issue, you're wrong. iPhones, they just like, they're like, they're like this closed system where they don't even like to use the charger that everybody else uses or the texting of pictures to one another that everybody else uses. It drives me nuts. They're like, they think they're too, too good for the globe in terms of everybody else has to adapt for them. So I'm team Android. I love you iPhone users. Uh, we'll meet at this table a little bit later. So I'm one of those people. I have opinions about this type of stuff as well. Yet, as I've been saying, technology is not only good, but it has bad things that it contributes to our reality. The reality is that every advent of every form of technology brings both good and bad. We have now maps to direct us in our cars, as well as phones to distract us and cause accidents. We don't only get up, caught up in quality content online, but also social media drama and posts that distract us from life and divide us. And not only is there good gospel-centered content on the internet that teaches us to love neighbor and contribute to human flourishing, but also there is content that is also dehumanizing and actually very, very dark. So what is it about maybe smartphones specifically that's different and even uniquely challenging uh, compared to other types of technology that we've witnessed? 
And here's four things I want to highlight that uh, maybe puts this into perspective about the unique thing that we experience in our relationship with smartphones. First of all, smartphones have, especially being connected to the internet, have infinite information. This is something that Maureen highlighted a little bit in her prayer as well, if you're listening to that. Smartphones have the ability to give you 24-7 access to the internet through a device in your pocket. And this is unique from any other instrument or tool. Reading an article, for example, uh, through the pages of a newspaper uh, compared to a screen on your phone essentially accomplishes the same thing. You're reading content, yet the newspaper can only pull you into the content through the limitations of this page of the paper itself, where a smartphone has an infinite amount of content not only from that page or that app, but also all the other audios and videos and games that can pull you in for multiple hours and hours and hours. And there's seemingly this unending amount of content, at least for us finite people, to be able to process with the limited amount of time that we have. That's why it's good to always, when you think about some of the apps on your phone, that some of them are like, yeah, it's a calculator, and that's what it does. It helps you calculate maybe math problems or whatever. But then you have what you would label infinite apps. And infinite apps are those apps that give you access to unlimited content without end, it seems like. That you can spend your entire waking moments on this app, and there will always be a new video to watch, a post to read, and a TV series to check out, and you would never have time to go through all of the content. This is a unique uh, uh, aspect of smartphones. Author David Zoll gives another example of unique uh, aspects of smartphone, and it's the, in case you missed it, culture of smartphones. This is somewhat related to the previous point, but with an emphasis on the newness of different events, a new song, a new TV series that can just drop at any minute, and you don't want to miss it. With a newspaper, there were new limitations to the next news cycle. It wasn't just at any moment something could happen, but you had to wait for the next printing. Now within seconds, news happens, and a coworker and friend might ask you, did you hear? Did you hear what happened? And you can't even go to a news website to really see breaking news. It happens in, in, in a quicker fashion through something like Twitter or X or whatever it's called nowadays, that you can get news even quicker, quicker from that than you can from cable news. A similar aspect occurs with video or social media. Did you see that latest viral TikTok, that latest viral short? Have you watched the new and hottest series on TV? Did you see what happened uh, when that person from high school posted that thing and that update about his personal life? We also are not only just caught up in what other people post, but we too want to document everything in case we forget about it. I remember, I'm a, many of you know that I really enjoy basketball, I love watching the NBA, and there was this moment recently where LeBron James was going to break the scoring record. It was a big deal, and everybody knew this was the game that it was going to happen at. And then you have this picture of the shot going up, and everybody knew it was about to go in, and you look at the audience, not LeBron, but you look at the audience around him, and what did you see? Every single person, with the exception of like these primitive folks, you know, that were in, you know, at a, from a bygone era, were on their phones in that moment rather than watching the actual live situation. 
which is really weird because I was thinking about like how we basically have the same experience. You watched it on a screen, and so did I. You might have been there, but you were on your screen. It's just this fascinating aspect because you, not, you didn't want to miss it in the sense of you wanted to document it digitally and put it in your photos where maybe or maybe not you'll ever watch it again. We even miss out on experiences because we want to make sure we capture it. Here's another and third uh, unique aspect of uh, our smartphones is the idea of productivity. Uh, technology, including devices, do make our lives incredibly productive in very good ways. You can get a lot done in a short amount of time because we have technology, then you have, maybe have expectations now to be able to keep up with things. You should be able to clean your home and, and do your laundry. You should be able to manage your schedule and everybody else in your household and get a bunch of stuff done at work. After all, we have washing machines and Google Calendar and digital task lists to remind us to do these things so we should be productive. So not only does, does technology make life easier, but with that, it forms this expectation on our time that we should be able to get more done in more efficient ways, and that's what happens with increased productivity, maybe also comes increased expectations. Think about it uh, from the perspective of work. Whether it's an email, a text message, a phone call, a Zoom call, or a document on the cloud, you can get things done at every moment of your day. So, maybe the boss is thinking, why not take that call at your kid's ball game or respond to that work email as the last thing you do before you fall asleep? Because you can, and it's so convenient, and wouldn't you be so much more productive? Fourth and finally, there's the purpose of apps themselves that they are not neutral things, but as, uh, as companies and individuals develop technology, every device, every piece of technology has a purpose, a reason it exists. The fancy word that uh, philosophers sometimes use is the telos of an item, the purpose, the ordering of it. The newspaper had one purpose, to quote the New York Times, you know that, that phrase that it uses at the very top of it, it's all the news that fits into print. A smartphone, on the other hand, and especially many of the apps on the smartphone, is not just to design to bring you information or bring you the news, but it's designed to get you to stay on that device as long as possible. That is a win for those, uh, the purposes of those devices and the purposes of many of the apps. Of course, there are many amazing apps and technology with wonderful ends of communication to be able to communicate to loved ones about a health crisis or connecting people with needed care with real life professionals or that uh, video call that you get to uh, have with your parents uh, who get to see your kids even though they live five states away. There's, there's some technology that have wonderful orderings or wonderful purposes. On the other hand, the bulk of apps that we use have this purpose, to get you to use it as much as possible so they can make as much money as possible off of you. That's the big purpose of many of the apps and devices that we use. Everything about how an app, a lot of apps are designed is to get you to use it more. The reminders, the notifications, the likes, the algorithm, and now the new AI technology is, is designed to get you to use it more and more and more because the more you use it, the more profitable that the company may be. 
The main purpose of these apps is not human flourishing or connecting folks who feel isolated or improving mental health of the user. That's not the purposes of these apps. The purpose is to increase your time so that the bottom line is more profitable. So we now see that this isn't just a new piece of technology. This is a piece of technology that has some unique challenges that we haven't seen with the advent of other technology. Now at this point, maybe some of you are getting a little skeptical. Okay, Pastor, what's, what's the big deal here? It's, it's just a device. Isn't there Christian freedom in how I use my phone or the amount of time that I use it? Yes, of course, there is freedom in the Christian life. But just because we have the green light to do something doesn't mean it's always beneficial. To quote the Apostle Paul about a different issue, but it applies to this one, 1 Corinthians 6.12, I have the right to do anything, you say, him getting the same pushback about a different issue, but he says not everything is beneficial. Just because it's something that you're free to do doesn't mean that in your freedom it's beneficial to you your own soul, or loving others. I have the right to do anything, he quotes again his opponents, but, and this is what the Christian faith says, I will not be mastered by anything. You might have freedom to do something, but in that freedom, it might not be beneficial to your soul or to others. In fact, even something that you might have freedom to do, the right to do, can still have the ability to master you. That's the point of the scripture here. Now, let me put this into perspective because maybe you're skeptical, like, how could you ever be mastered by technology or an app on your phone? Is that even possible? Well, recently, a friend of mine sent me a comedic uh, sketch, you know, in case I missed it, uh, that really drove home this point. All right, and here's the scene in this uh, comedic sketch. There's a room of adults waiting in uh, a waiting room to get advice from a doctor because each person in this waiting room struggles with sleep. They can't get enough sleep and they, they're there to desperately hear from the doctor, how can I get more sleep? So the doctor says, all you need to do for the best night of sleep in your life is very simple. For the last hour before you go to bed, don't go on your phone. And all of these several individuals, these adults in the waiting room are just horrified just confused, what, like, the, you could just see the look on their face, like, this is the most ridiculous idea that they've ever, ever seen, just the look of disgust on their face that uh, the doctor would even suggest this. Uh, the doctor continues, now, is this something that you could all try? Everyone responds one at a time, well, no, no, like, no, why would we, why would we do that? Then this, the doctor starts negotiating, okay, okay, what about not the last hour, what about the last 20 minutes? The last 20 minutes before you go to bed, just don't be on your phone. One person in the waiting room responds, well, that's, that's even worse. Why would you suggest that? So the doctor says, well, it seems then that sleep just isn't important to you. And then one person responds with this very serious tone. Sleep is the most important thing to me. It's the most important thing in my life. I would take any pill and have any surgery for a better night of sleep, and everybody agrees, like everybody that's sitting there agrees, like, yeah, same here. We would definitely take pills and go to surgery to get a good night of sleep. And so the doctor responds, okay, okay, how about five minutes, no phone before you go to bed? Everyone responds, no, I don't, I don't think so, doctor. That's, that's crazy, crazy. So the doctor pushes a new idea. How about not using your phone in the bathroom before you go to bed? How about that? Put your phone down. 
go brush your teeth, go potty, and then just go to sleep. And one person asked, you expect us to sit on the toilet without phones like an Amish? Like, just like, what, what kind of crazy idea is this? So the doctor says, uh, all right, how about uh, the bathroom then is the last time you use your phone before you go to bed? And one guy is just extremely flustered. What time of day do you recommend, doctor, that I go on to WebMD and look up what all my rashes mean? He's just like, when, when do you expect me to do this if it's not right before bed? And that's how the sketch ends. So, this is funny, right? Like a lot of comedy, it's funny because there's an element of truth that we might see ourselves in this negotiation with the doctor that we maybe in our souls know that something we're doing is not healthy for us, but it's actually the one thing we're not willing to give up. We're willing to do anything else except for maybe this one thing that could even improve a night of sleep. So, one of the things that this sketch, among other uh, things that I've mentioned, is driving home is that all the benefits that a smartphone may give us, there's also things that we all kind of know that we uh, uh, are impacted by that is not for our good, that's not for our benefit, that's not for our flourishing. In fact, it's making us more anxious, more isolated, and maybe even losing a good night of sleep to the degree that uh, the warning from Paul might be relevant here. You might have freedom in this, but it's no longer benefiting you, and maybe it's finally mastered you. One of the things I've been asking people just to kind of even drive this home is, is, is here's, here's a challenge to see, like, ah, maybe you're thinking to yourself, I am not like these people in the sketch. All right, prove it. Prove it by doing this. Let me see if you could just go one week by doing this. Just one week, okay, you ready? Don't take your phone in your bedroom. Could you do it for a week? Some of you might, and some of you are like, I've been living my life like that. Good for you. Most people, this is a very sacred time. In the morning, right before you go to bed, that is the time to unwind, right? And if you're like, yeah, I'm not addicted to my smartphone, no big deal, this, that sketch is not for me, I would say, own it, prove it. Could you go a week? Could you go a day? Could you go a half a day, just a morning? without doing it, and then, then you can say for sure that you are not uh, one of the people uh, in this sketch that is getting uh, pushback from a doctor. So one of the things that we know about ourselves is that a challenge like that does show that there is maybe an unhealthy relationship and something that isn't contributing to our flourishing. So let's go back now to Psalm 1 and remind ourselves what it is about the happy person that the scripture promotes in contrast to this way of life. Look at what the blessed person does and does not do that contributes to him being blessed. Again, remember, blessed means the happy person. Psalm 1.1, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or... or that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. The point here is that this person does not walk, stand, or sit in ways that are opposed to God. He does not get caught up in paths that lead him away from love of God and love of others. And the mocker in this passage is, is the person who's the farthest away from repentance, according to the rest of Scripture. Proverbs describes the mocker as a person needing to be disciplined, a person with no respect for authority, a person that will not listen to truthful 
uh, teaching and rejects obvious categories of right and wrong. And the happy person isn't caught up into the pathway that makes you into such a person. Rather, this is what the happier, blessed person does. Verse 2, whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. With that phrase, the law of the Lord, don't think a book of rules, but this is the story and the voice of God in all of the scriptures, the voice that points and finds its fulfillment in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So this happy person meditates on God's word, meditates on God's voice, uh, and that's the thing that even rattles around in his brain, even when he's maybe not actively reading the scriptures. It's the song of the scriptures that gets caught up in his head, that shapes his thoughts and his day as he goes about his work. This is setting these categories that this happy person has a way that he does things and a path that he wants to go on and understands that there are certain things that contribute to me being led away from that path in a way that diminishes my own flourishing but also the love that I have for God. So the happy person chooses the paths and the boundaries that cultivate love of God and love of others and then says, if there's things in my life that don't contribute to that, that don't increase my joy, I want to put those things in its place and put those things in its proper boundaries. So let me take a moment to apply that framework to our devices by using uh, some of the guidance that Andy Crouch gives in his book, uh, TechWise Tech Family. One of the things I'll say before I read his list is this is descriptive. The point of reading this list isn't that you would hear it as some type of prescriptive, prescriptive thing that you now apply in every single area of your life. Some of these things you might resonate with, some of these things you won't, and that's okay. But maybe these ways that he uh, orders his life and his family's life to create healthy boundaries with devices and technology, maybe there's a couple of things that you might relate to here. So number one, and I think he has a list of about nine here or so of things that his family does. Number one, we want to create more than we consume. So we fill the center of our home with things that reward skill and active engagement. Reading his book, he'll actually say there's literally rooms in his house where devices aren't allowed, that there's instruments here where we play music together. He's, a very music, he's in a very musical family. And other places where, yeah, we can watch TV here, devices are allowed, and other places where there's not. And those places where it's not, the rooms are set up to cultivate creativity. Number two, we are designed for a rhythm of work and rest. So one hour a day, one day a week, and one week a year, we turn off our devices and worship, feast, play, and rest together. That's an interesting rule of thumb. One hour a day, nothing, no device. One day a week, no device. One week a year, they go on vacation, go on a trip where there's no devices and they focus on worship, feasting, playing, and resting together. Number three, we wake up before our devices do and they go to bed before we do, which is what the sketch was getting at, the comedic sketch was getting at. Number four, we aim for no screens before double digits at school and at home. Number five, we use screens for a purpose and when we use them together, and we use them together rather than using them aimlessly and alone. Number six, car time is conversation time. 
Uh, you know, here's an example of the prescriptive and descriptive thing, by the way. Like, I like that rule except for road trips. I'm just saying uh, that sometimes, like, a, you just need a good movie to get, get, your, get yourselves through Nebraska, right? Um, number seven, spouses have one another's passwords and parents have total access to their children's devices. Sorry, Gen Z. Number eight, we show up in person for the big events of life. We learn how to be human by being fully present at our moments of greatest vulnerability. Number nine, we learn to sing together rather than letting recorded and amplified music take over our lives and worship. This is a unique thing for Andy Crouch because I think folks that are especially maybe musical will relate to how he draws a distinction between a device and an instrument. An instrument, like a guitar, is sometimes an extension of you. It is technology to a certain degree, but you have to master it. You have to put in a lot of practice to get good at it, and then it kind of amplifies your humanity to a certain degree and it enhances your world as a result. A device does the thing for you. You don't work to be able to use it like an instrument in order to be an extension of yourself. The device does all the work for you and it pulls you out of your world when you do it. And so there's this interesting thing he says where in a sense, depending on how you look at it, we are playing more music than we ever have been. If by playing music you mean listening to music, but to a certain degree, we're also playing less music than we've ever have been, if by what you mean is that people are learning uh, to play less instruments and play music that way. And one of the things that he really advocates for is if you're going to use a phone to go from making it a device that kind of conquers you to making it a instrument that is an extension of you that doesn't pull you out of the world, but then actually accomplishes the goals that you want it to accomplish. And especially he advocates for limiting time on infinite apps and cutting out apps that you know are not ordered towards your good. These are ways that you can make your phone into an instrument rather than a device. Going back to Psalm 1, if we order our lives in a way that the word of God and his ways of love and flourishing shape us rather than the things that we know lead us away from those paths, what do we become like? Verse 3, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose life does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. And not so with the wicked. They are like uh, chaff that the wind blows away. They don't wither because their source of life, their influence of life is God's word and his promises. And even this imagery assumes that this person is going through a drought. And even though the drought comes, he does not wither during that drought. Why? Because he is planted in something that causes him to flourish. No matter if life is on the mountain or in the valley, he is, he is being nourished by God's word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is how he is known in verse 5 and 6. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. That phrase, the Lord watches, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, gets at that sense of belonging, that God knows us. When we're planted in him, we know God, but even more profoundly, he knows you, and he's for you and for your flourishing. And that's why no one who is planted in the gospel is going to waste away. 
Let me conclude with this passage from the Gospel of Luke to try to drive this home in another practical way. One of the things that I remember hearing when I when kind of reflecting on my own relationship with smartphones, when I first started reflecting on it, there was this point that multiple people would, would make, like, uh, you know, intellectual, public intellectuals and co comedy, uh, comedic sketches or whatever, comedians were making the same point, and it was, they were really distraught how uh, smartphones took away our ability to be uh, alone with our own thoughts, uh, just, you know, in your car without listening to a song or seeing what you missed on whatever app, that like in those moments you are just not being distracted by anything but whatever's rattling around in your brain. I was like, well, that's odd. Why, why would that be a big deal? Like some of the things that rattle around in my brain I kind of want to be distracted from, right? That's the whole point. But one of the things he's saying is like, well, sometimes like as humans, you need to be alone in the silence to be able to work through some things that are going on in your life. And if you don't give that, yourself moments to be able to do that, you're constantly distracted and pulled out of that moment, then you are going to miss something by being so busy with information or getting caught up on work or other things, including maybe the voice of Jesus that would come through in that moment. Because that's what happened in the relationship between Mary and Martha when they invited Jesus over to the house. Luke 10, 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Sometimes we get so distracted in life that what we really need to do is to sit in the silence and to be with Jesus, to be with what is better. Yes, we have freedom to do a lot of different things in our life, but not everything is beneficial, and we cannot be mastered by anything. And some of the ways that we push back on that is to sit in this Christian practice of solitude, of silence, to be alone with your own voice and your own struggles, and then to meet Jesus there because he is better, to sit in the solitude, the quiet, and the meditation, because that is such a big part of what it means to be human and what it means for Jesus to meet us there in the silence. Blessed is the one who unplugs and chooses what is better.